0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Ohio Politics Explained, the three chickens and a side of redistricting edition. This week, we're talking about a controversial education bill from Florida that got introduced in Ohio, one Democrat's personal mission to change our sexual assault laws, what's up with that May 3rd primary, and all the bills passed before lawmakers left Columbus. Joining me this week is Jesse Balmer. Welcome back to the show, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we got a lot to cover and let's get started. Our first topic is a bill that most people know as don't say gay. And this week, two Republican lawmakers introduced a version of it here in Ohio. It's House Bill 616, if anyone wants to check it out. And what it would do is ban, and I quote, any curriculum or instructional materials on sexual orientation or gender identity for kids in kindergarten through third grade. Kids four through 12 would get age appropriate education based on state standards. Teachers who violate The law would lose their licenses and school districts could lose state funding. So the question is, what does sexual orientation and gender identity mean? Now, opponents say that's why they call it Don't Say Gay, because they think it means don't talk about LGBTQ families or characters or read books like When Aiden Became a Brother, which is about a transgender boy, or Julian is a Mermaid. Neither of these books deal with sex. The characters aren't having romantic relationships. They're they're kids. But they present being transgender or boys dressing up as mermaids in positive ways. And I talked with Maria Bruno from Equality Ohio, and she said, quote, it becomes clear very quickly when the specific materials begin to be cited that when they say sexual orientation, they mean non-heterosexual orientation. So now opponents say it actually is about sex and that talking about these topics with small children can lead to grooming, and that's why they oppose it. And we're probably going to hear a lot about this in the coming weeks.
1: Yeah, you've really taken the lead on this topic. So I feel like I should be interviewing you on it. But it's uh, immediately it was a topic that everyone was talking about, except for perhaps the sponsors of the bill who weren't making themselves readily available for interviews no. initially. So that was interesting. I think it's a topic that you're going to hear a lot about at the Ohio General Assembly. I think you're going to hear a lot of testimony from people who, you know, are vigorously opposed to this or people who you know think it's a good idea for a Ohio, if what happened in Florida is any indication, I think we're just in for a really controversial, heated couple of months on this one.
0: Yeah. And adding an extra layer to it, um, groups like the Ohio Chamber of Commerce, they haven't come out explicitly against it, but they voiced a little concern about this kind of legislation, particularly when it comes to attracting large companies like Intel. Yeah. and that's a whole other layer to this kind of legislation. Certainly, a lot of businesses are
1: talking about the importance of diversity and inclusion, about attracting a diverse workforce. and this bill touches on on both LGBTQ topics but also on on race and and so really businesses are trying to attract, a a diverse workforce and Ohio is trying to attract those businesses here. And it'll be interesting how much the business community pushes back on this type of legislation and whether that will have any effect on state lawmakers considering it.
0: Yeah, and what we didn't mention is that this is not a carbon copy of the Florida bill. So the counseling provisions in the Florida bill are not in the Ohio bill. The penalties are different, and the Ohio bill includes what you would call the divisive concepts. So this would be like CRT and the 1619 Project and Diversity and Equity Inclusion Curriculum. And so it is sort of a um, divisive concept plus this don't say gay element. It's a twofer, really. They've put all of these under the umbrella of divisive concepts.
1: And we've heard a lot about divisive concepts legislation in
0: Ohio, so I guess I'll interview you. What's (laughs) happening with those other bills, and is this like a replacement for them? That's a really big question. I asked Bob Cup about that. He didn't really give us an answer other than to say they they all are still in the running, I guess. Um, So there's 322, there's 327, and now there's 616. I think there's a Senate bill that hasn't really gone anywhere, but some of the other divisive concept bills have had like lots of hearings. They've had dozens of revisions. They've really been worked on... 327 made news the other week because Representative Sarah Fowler-Arthur said some controversial things about the Holocaust that got her into a little bit of hot water um, with the Jewish community here in Ohio. So there were some questions about whether this is um, 616 is an attempt to make it the vehicle for all this kind of legislation. We'll see what, what where it goes. And eventually, we hope that uh, Representatives Gene Schmidt and Mike Leuchik will talk to us about what their bill is. They are the main co-sponsors. And, I couldn't get them on the phone and like no one else in the press corps got them on the phone yesterday.
1: Yeah, it is unusual because usually when state lawmakers introduce a piece of legislation, they're all too eager to talk about it and the benefits of it and and why they want to see it move forward in the Ohio General Assembly. And so I especially if you're introducing something that you know is going to be talked about, you know, is going to be controversial. It's important to just be accessible and answer questions about it.
0: And our second topic is the Statue of Limitations on Sexual Assault Crimes. Our colleague Haley B. Miller co-wrote an article this week about Democratic Representative Jessica Miranda. And full disclosure for anyone listening, I'm about to talk about the rape of a child. So feel free to scroll past this topic if it's something you don't want to listen to. So Miranda opened up to Haley about how she was molested as a child. She describes staring at the ceiling in the house where this took place and how she can still remember it vividly. It's a really haunting account if you have time to read it. And I want to commend Representative Miranda before we talk about the legislation just for having the courage to talk so openly about something so personal from her childhood. And Miranda said she never filed charges against her abusers, but she thinks other people who have been through what she has should have longer to do so. So House Bill 266 would give victims of child sexual abuse until age 55 to sue their abuser or any institution that negligently facilitated that abuse. The current age limit is 30. And, um, you know, groups who work in this space say the average age that people come forward is 52. And so the question becomes, should we extend this? And specifically, should we extend it for the group of men who say they were molested at Ohio State University? Because this bill would also create a three-year window for cases that, have already expired.
1: Yeah. And this is a huge issue because a former OSU doctor, Richard Strauss, who has, has since died, was accused of, you know, sexually abusing more than 170 individuals over a 10 year or 20 year career as the athletes and student health director over at Ohio State. There have been lawsuits over this. There's been settlements over this. But um, a lot, a number of these cases haven't been able to go forward because of the statute of limitations that um, Representative Miranda is talking about. And so I think some of the pushback, particularly from Republican lawmakers on this, is are you opening up? these institutions to large settlements for cases that happened years and years and years ago. Um, I think the survivors of these incidents would say, if I have a vivid recollection of this, like if there is something that can be prosecuted here or,
0: or brought forward in a civil lawsuit here, then that should be sufficient. That should be for the jury to decide, basically, yes. whether there's whether there's any there there. And yeah, so the main opponent of this kind of legislation, or the most vocal one, is Representative Bill Seitz. He's been a longtime opponent of extending these kinds of statute of limitations, saying that memories can fade over time and basically victims should come forward sooner. It is worth noting that Seitz serves as a partner of counsel at Dinsmore and Shoal. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I'm taking a wild guess. But it's the firm that negotiated settlements for the Catholic Church. Here in Ohio. So, just in context, like he has some connection with these institutions that are being protected by the statute of limitations.
1: Yeah. And our colleague was able to records request some emails with um, Bill sites that were. And some of the Strauss victims in particular. mm -hmm, That were just kind of cringeworthy, saying, you know, they should have come
0: forward earlier. So, that is. If you want to check it out, it is all in this very long, very thorough article. I would highly recommend it. But our third topic is Jessie's favorite topic of all time. And she's smiling at me right now because she knows what it is, redistricting. And so I'm going to pitch it to you and say, what's up with the congressional? What's up with the legislative? Like, what's going on? Because people are voting. Early voting started. Yeah, to be sure. So if you are voting early, which you are certainly allowed
1: to do, started on Tuesday, you can vote for members of Congress. And the members of Congress you're voting for are from this second map that the Ohio Redistricting approved in early March. And it is being challenged before the Ohio Supreme Court as potentially unconstitutional. But even if the court does rule against this map, it's kind of already on the ballot. So we're using it this time around. At
0: least for 2022.
1: At least for 2022. And the impact of that is people like U.S. Representative Steve Shabbat down in Cincinnati is in a district that now is going to lean slightly Democratic. Marcy Kaptur, the longest serving woman in Congress, is uh, facing a very competitive seat up in the Toledo area. So uh, it's just going to be an interesting map to use for 2022, and we'll see if Republicans are able to take advantage of some of these uh, favorable options for them. Um, the other thing is the state legislative maps, which were in the fourth iteration of. Those maps were passed by the Ohio Redistricting Commission kind of tweaks of the third maps that were already rejected by the Ohio Supreme Court. The commission, as you might recall, was using hired map makers and kind of looking at them in this Truman show like scenario, (laughs) um, but didn't ultimately use those maps. Republicans are saying that they weren't finished and Democrats are saying, you know, they, they could have been finished with a few tweaks, essentially. So we are waiting to see if the Ohio Supreme Court you know, gives a thumbs up or thumbs down to those fourth versions of the maps. Um, If they are rejected, I think it's likely that this trio of federal judges is going to have to become involved. And federal courts really try to stay out of partisan gerrymandering and redistricting issues. They don't like it. Yeah, they would rather, uh, one of the judges was basically like, this is your problem, Ohio. You figure (laughs) it out. But unfortunately, it might be their problem as soon as April 20th.
0: Yeah, because that's when they are going to decide. And if the court rejects Rejects this fourth set of maps, they may pick another map and then just set a primary maybe August 2nd ish.
1: Yeah, I think August 2nd is the most likely scenario for this second Ohio primary, which would include the state legislative districts and then state central committee, which is basically the governing body for your Republican Party and Democratic Party in this state. So that is a date that is kind of the last possible date for these things to happen before the November election. It's also a date where some of the counties are already having a special election. So it's
0: kind of on the books. Yeah. And our fourth and final topic is what I like to call Bill-a-palooza. So before lawmakers leave Columbus on any kind of break, they pass a bunch of legislation. And since they aren't scheduled to be back until after the May primary, here's some of the things they did, like super quick. So they loosened Ohio's water regulations. They struck a deal on when schools can contest the value of a home or a business. They made a bunch of changes to higher education, including these $2,000 grants for students who want to come back and finish their degrees. And my personal favorite, they reduced. Reduce the number of baby chicks you can buy at a minimum from six to three. And why might one need fewer baby chicks, Anna? (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Because apparently when kids are in 4-H and you buy chicks to raise and show, you can show one, but you have to buy six. And that's hard for families because then they've got to raise all six or they got to find somebody to give them to. Or, you know, like often baby chicks feels like a really dark thing to do in this situation. So it puts them in a weird place. And um, Kyle Kohler, the Republican who sponsored this, said we wanted to get rid of it, but the Ohio Department, of Ag was like, actually, no, we need to track this because of bird flu and other things. So we'll we'll live with three. And he passed it and they have changed it. And actually, uh, Representative Brent, who is a Cleveland area Democrat, was super into this because she was in 4-H and she said she always struggled to get people to take her extra baby chicks. Like, I'm not kidding. It was it was I don't know. I gobbled it up. And one more thing before you go, in the next couple of weeks leading up to the U.S. Senate campaign and the gubernatorial primaries, like you're going to see a lot of ads. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about all the different ads that we're seeing, including this one with Josh Mandel's hands, which apparently, no, he did not Photoshop himself onto a black soldier. They toned the photo and for some reason, his hands got darker than they should have been.
1: Yeah. I was watching the Grammys this past week and just the number of Ohio Senate ads I saw was so extensive. (laughs) I've like largely been avoiding mainstream television. So we'll see.
0: Yeah. And one of the highlights, um, you know, of this season for me has been um, the Jane Timken ad where she sort of knocks over images of her opponents talking about men who overcompensate for things. And it's really the ad that only a woman could run. And she's the only woman in that race. And it just it sort of stuck out because of the uniqueness, I think, of that ad.
1: Yeah, to be sure. And this week, uh, former Dana Mayor Nan Whaley um, crafted a new ad with Senator Sherrod Brown, who has endorsed her in this race. And I think it's one of those things, like if you have the support of the most prominent Democrat in Ohio, you might as well cut an ad with him.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially he's very popular amongst Democrats. And in the Nan v. Cran, like a lot of voters might not know who they're picking. And maybe they're like, oh, I'll pick the woman that Sherrod picked. Like, I hate to say it, but sometimes voters like make it just that basic of a choice.
1: Yeah, and Brown is very well known, obviously in the Cleveland area, and probably neither Cranley nor Whaley are as. Southwest Ohio mayor is super well known to voters up in Northeast Ohio, so I'm sure it doesn't hurt.
0: Yeah, and I mean, if you just want proof that ads can work, look at Mike Gibbons. Like, he consistently has been, like, I've been seeing his ads for months and it's kind of paid off in all the polls that, like, we see. um, He is neck and neck with Josh Mandel. He's occasionally the front runner. He's occasionally right behind, but he's in that, like, top tier of candidates, and I think a lot of that is just name ID and ads. It doesn't hurt to
1: be able to introduce yourself to voters if you have a decent amount of money to throw at advertisement.
0: And if you want to learn about any of the topics we covered today, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network like cantonrep.com.